Uh, today we are going to continue our doubt and deconstruction series we began last week, and uh, today uh, our, our hope is today just to, like, like we started last week, just sort of remove some more obstacles, um, because the truth is some people in this world, and you may be one of these people, I've been one of these people at times, um, have wondered about just how we kind of reconcile the existence of God, and if not the existence of God, maybe the goodness of God, the love of God, the power of God, with the fact that in this world there is evil, there is suffering, there is pain, there's a lot of bad things, and we call God good, so does that make sense? Um, so today we have a very special guest uh, speaker who's going to come up here in just a second, um, and his name is Dr. Evan Posey. Dr. Posey is a, um, has a PhD in theology and apologetics. He is the executive vice president and provost over at Luther Rice Seminary. Uh, he also leads worship out at uh, Fusion Church in Madison, um, and, and beyond all that, those are titles and, and, and names of things, but really he's a man that loves God, loves his people, and, and is passionate about God's word and sharing it with us this morning. Listen, I brought my notebook today, so I'm gonna be taking notes. You guys be taking notes as y'all listen. And um, listen, we're gonna have a Q&A at the end, time provided. So if you have a question, uh, we're actually gonna bring that microphone around. Scott England will do that at the end and allow you guys to actually ask questions too. So be thinking about that as he speaks. But right now, I'm gonna ask you guys to stand and let's read the word together. I'm gonna read from 1 Peter. Um, I read a bit of this verse uh, last week. I'm gonna start in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm starting in verse 13. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys have a seat. And please join me in welcoming uh, to the stage, Dr. Evan Posey. Well, uh, it's great to be with you. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I'm, I didn't grow up at, on Forest Drive off of Deering Street. So you just call me Evan, okay? You can take the boy out of Covington, but you can't take the Covington out of the boy, that sort of thing. So that's who I am, and um, my family's right back there, at least some of them. My wife, Leslie Ann, who grew up on Deering Road, just a couple miles from me, a high school sweetheart, and our nine children... That's right, nine. You didn't mishear that. It's six girls and three boys, and they are a blessing to Leslie Ann and me. And it's a, a privilege and an honor to be with you today, to worship with you. You know, in, in classes on hermeneutics, the, the art of preaching and Bible interpretation, they'll tell you, start with something that grabs people's attention. Um, hard to do that today, because we have a pretty heavy topic. Uh, I don't know that I want to get you excited, um, because it's such a sober issue. And not to be a complete downer, but I do want to stimulate your mind in order to worship Him, to love the Lord with our minds. 
your pastoral staff has already done such a wonderful job of engaging our affection for God. To express our heart's love and gratitude towards our Creator. Now the message, I hope, today is going to engage your mind. To connect with the effectual side. And to praise Him. To worship Him. To love Him with our minds. In hopes that when we leave this place, we'll love the Lord with our strength. By blooming wherever God has planted you in whatever context you represent in this room. The goal is to leave here edified by other believers so that we might be winsome ambassadors for Jesus in the world. Is that worth an amen? Yeah, amen. That's the point. We come here, we ascend the holy hill today to commune with God and his people so that when we go back to the world, we are lights. We are indeed, each person here, a city on a hill. You're a city on a hill. It's meant to shine. God has lit a fire in your heart, and he doesn't want to put it under a basket. He wants it to shine for his son, Jesus, because that's where we find hope. That's where we find reconciliation, and that's where we find the solution to the problem of pain and suffering and evil. And when we talk about the problem of pain and suffering and evil, we're really historically talking about two distinct problems. I don't know if you knew that, but categorically we talk about the philosophical problem of evil, which is something that a bunch of philosophers and theologians sit around and debate. And it, we, we will go over that briefly, and it has probably never registered in your daily life. It probably doesn't occupy a whole lot of space in your mind, and that's okay. But it's good that you be aware of it, especially when we are in the middle of a series entitled Doubt and Deconstruction. You should be aware and able to give an answer for the hope that you have when asked. And the philosophical problem of evil will be a question that you will unlikely encounter. But I submit to you today that it's not even the most potent version or species of the problem of evil and pain and suffering. Which will lead me to the second, which is what I and others have termed the pastoral problem of evil. The pastoral problem of evil sounds something like this. Why, if God is so good, did my child die? Why, if God is as loving as your Bible claims, then why am I racked with anxiety day in and day out? If God is so powerful, why doesn't he stop my husband or my wife from doing the things that they're doing? If your God is so good, why is my life so miserable? These aren't philosophical issues per se. They're, they're pastoral issues and they come from a heart that bleeds 
if you cut it. Real people asking real questions that really matter. And we should not, as a body of believers, dismiss these questions as arising from someone that just doesn't have enough faith. Or maybe you're just caught up in some sin. Perhaps that might be the answer, but not necessarily. Instead of shrinking from the problem and turning away from it and circling our wagon, we've been called to turn outward and face it, to take a step towards the challenge, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. By the way, in 1 Peter, in the midst of suffering is the, one of the themes of Peter's epistles. Now the temptation, when we talk about pain and suffering and evil, is to devolve into navel-gazing. Meaning, we, we, we turn inward and focus on ourselves, and we can get wrapped up in the despondency that, that accompanies pain and suffering and evil. But my job is really very simple. is to turn your eyes towards heaven. Every Sunday, the pastor, the herald, the one that proclaims the truth of God's word is to turn the people's eyes to the holy hill. To look to Jesus. Because that's where we find the solution to pain and suffering and evil. And that's my hope. Why do we talk about this? Well, hopefully you can feel the force of this challenge. The idea, at least from old philosophers, Epicurus and new philosophers, relatively speaking, 18th century David Hume, says something like this to offer the philosophical problem of evil. Hume writes, Epicurus's old questions are yet unanswered. Is he, that is God, willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is your God both able and willing? Whence then is evil? I mean, if, if God is powerful, all-powerful, then surely he's able to stop it. If he is omnibenevolent, all good, then surely he would do it. And yet, here we are struggling with pain, suffering, and evil. What does this say about God? Hopefully we'll discover that pain, suffering, and evil is not a weapon of the unbeliever to be wielded against God's people, but rather a catalyst of faith. That our pain and suffering is meant to turn us to Jesus and launch us into trust in Him. C.S. Lewis put it this way, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks 
in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain, suffering, and evil is God's megaphone to shake us awake and to turn us to his son. And when we speak of the philosophical problem of evil, there are at least two ideas that I would like for you to um, ingest and digest today. Let it ruminate in your mind. And the first is this. Pain, suffering, and evil only exist if the good exists. Think about this for a moment. Pain, suffering, and evil only exist if the good exists. Our job as we are offered this challenge is to ask the question, what do you mean when you say pain and suffering and evil? Presumably, when someone appeals to Pol Pot, Adolf Hitler, Mao, Lenin, systemic injustice, whatever pain, suffering, evil, injustice exists in our world, presumably the objector is saying that it's evil in the objective sense. Meaning wherever it goes, the evil goes with it. Philosophers like to use this sort of odd, always causes me to scratch my head, this odd example, torturing babies for fun. They use this example to sort of evoke that instinct to say there, there are real objective evils. It's not just a matter of your subjective opinion and my subjective opinion. Wherever the torturing of babies for fun goes, the evil goes with it. It's in the object. It's not in my mere opinion. And so when we hear Something like, if pain, suffering, and evil exist, then this God of yours can exist. There's a logical incompatibility between these two ideas. And we are to say, time out. What is it that you mean when you say evil? Do you mean that it's just our subjective opinion about something that's evil? Or are you saying that it's objectively true? That wherever you find this instance, evil's going with it. It's in the object rather than the subject's mind and opinion. Does that make sense? This is a foundational question because it addresses the context from which the challenge arises and brings that to the surface rather than simply implying it or ignoring it altogether because it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Again, to quote Lewis, and I'll paraphrase him here in The Problem of Pain, he says, the chief reason for rejecting God was because the cruelty and injustice he saw in the world. And Lewis observes, how did I come about this idea of injustice and cruelty? A man doesn't know a line is crooked unless he has a sense of a straight line. So when we say that there is evil, pain, and suffering, 
we may be unwittingly admitting that there is a standard of ruling by which we assess our context as evil, painful, and insufferable. Does this make sense to you? We don't know how long a line is unless we have some objective standard to appeal to that tells us, be it inches, centimeters, yards, kilometers, whatever. We appeal to some objective standard to give us an idea the length of a line. And then when there's a deviation from that line, we can recognize it. All to drive home this one point. When we say that there's pain and suffering and evil, we are admitting that there is an objective standard of good by which to measure phenomena around us. Yeah. This is a crucial point because it takes us outside of our own subjectivity and moves us into the objective world, observing the world around us. The second point is this. The best explanation for the good is God or pain Suffering and evil only exist if God exists, right? The good exists only if God exists. That's sort of the handoff and the custody of that line of thinking. Do you see that? We can't call pain, suffering, and evil objectively painful and sufferable and evil unless there's an objective good. But the objective good only exists if... God exists. There's the leap. There's the rub. Why God? You know, there's a, and I, we will not spend all day in this sort of philosophical knot. We will get to the Word of God in a moment. But it's important that we cover these things. There's a, there's a philosopher, Plato. I don't know if you guys are familiar. I know in prior services. We talked about Plato's works. Well, in one of his dialogues entitled Euthyphro, Plato takes up the question of, as he often does, defining terms. And not just defining terms, but getting to the very essence of a thing. And in Euthyphro, Plato, through Socrates, is the main character in his dialogues, asks Euthyphro for the definition of the pious. The pious. Is something pious because the gods love it? Or do the gods love it because it is pious? Now this is translated and aimed at theism, and in particular Christian theism, in this way. Is something good because God commands it, or does God command it because it's good? And you, say, you may be saying, well, so what, Evan? Well, the the point of this, and there is some force here, is it's meant to force the Christian to embrace one of the two horns of that dilemma, neither of which is compatible with Christianity. If God commands something because it is in itself good, it admits that there's a, a standard of goodness distinct from God that even he is measured by. And Christian theism says, oh, no, no, no. There is no standard of goodness by which we measure God. 
That would, that would create a moral authority that is beyond God. And so we don't want to admit that. That's the horn of that dilemma. So what must we say? Well, then it is good because God commands it. So we move over to the other horn. Well, what's, prob- what's the problem with something being good, uh, prohibited, or permitted because God commands it? It grounds the goodness in God's arbitrary command. In theory, God could just as easily command the torture, torturing of babies for fun, and it would be a good thing to do because God said to do it. And yet we admit that, well, we can't have that because our God would not command evils, whatever that means, and it forces you back over to the other horn. What do you mean by evil? Is this objective standard out here that's distinct from God? So there's a moral code that's above God? Do you see the dance? And what do we do? How do we split the horns of this dilemma? Philosophers and theologians have split the horns. And you, may be, you may say once I tell you this, like, well, duh, yes, of course. Is that the good is not something that is distinct from God, and the good is not something that's merely grounded in God's command. The good, when we talk about it in the objective sense, we are talking about God's very nature itself. He is the standard of good. And His commands are not right-making They don't make them right. They're right indicating. They're indicative of God's nature. So that when we understand God's commands, we are understanding something about the very nature of God and thus splitting the horns of the dilemma. But He's not the only candidate for an objective basis for the good. How about uh, moral Platonism? That there's a, a form out in the ether called the good. This is one of Plato's major themes, is that the Plato's forms. There's a perfect Evan somewhere out in the, you know, I don't know, maybe in here, I don't know. And I am more or less, Leslie's like, he's not in here, okay? Uh, I am more or less reflecting the perfect Evan, that form or the perfect music stand, or the perfect set of drums, exists in this world of shadows. Is there a good? What's the problem with this? The good and the right are always connected to persons. And we have no obligation to an impersonal form called the good, but to people. I have an obligation to you to treat you a certain way, and to act in a way that honors you as, a, as an end in and of itself. Why not some sort of neo-Darwinian account of morality? Human flourishing and thriving and survival of the fittest and those sorts of things. To get to the very bottom of the formula, if you will, this account is completely subjective. Who's to say that human flourishing is the summum bonum or the greatest good? And doesn't survival of the fittest actually entail some major evils? It's subjective. 
And that's not what we're looking for as moral beings. We're looking for something that is binding, that has moral force. And the only way we find moral force is in an objective grounding that is personal. Christianity is claiming that that objective grounding that is personal is God himself. So God best explains the existence of objective good philosophical problem of evil. Okay? How comforted do you feel right now that you know how to solve the philosophical problem of evil? Right. Me neither. We can leave the classroom. We can leave the debate knowing that we've made a rigorous front against atheistic thinking and philosophizing, right? Okay, fine. But my heart still hurts. I'm still bleeding here. I'm bleeding out on the field of battle. And I need help. And thank you for telling me about David Hume. And thank you for telling me about Epicurus. And thank you for using, you know, $10 words. But I'm hurting. And I don't know why God allowed us to miscarry. And I don't know why I lost my job. And I don't know why my sister struggles with cancer. And I don't know why all of these evils attend to us in this world. Help me. Pray for your pastor. Please, if you're not already, pray for your pastoral staff. Because whether you think about it or not, you all in your various ways run to them as beacons of hope for answers to life's deepest questions. And it is not the philosophical answer that you're looking for. I know this. So I have four things that I want to say about the pastoral problem of evil. And then I want to turn our attention and end on God's Word. The pastoral problem of evil is personal. It's personal. It's not out there. It's in here. It's at the dinner table. Something that's very personal. Not just that it's in here, like it's in my face. But it's not another evil out there. It's my evil. We'll return to that. What will God do about evil must be applied to what God will do about your evil. Whatever conclusion you come to, it's not just God dealing with the, with the object out there. We are asking Him to deal with our evil actions and thoughts. Not only the suffering that we experience, but the suffering that we inflict. So we must be careful so that we don't speak cavalierly, but truthfully and carefully. It's not only personal, 
The problem of evil, pain, and suffering is potent. I mean, I'm a good Baptist, so I'm going to give you four Ps, okay? Makes it easy. Even if it's not in the text. I'm just joking. <clears throat> it's potent. Top three reasons that cause doubt. 2023 Barna survey, for whatever surveys are worth to you, top three reasons that cause doubt among those of no faith. Hypocrisy in the church. Its own form of evil. A bad church experience. I hope you see the two related. And human suffering. Human suffering. The text we turn to in just a moment, you will see echoes of these themes throughout Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. It is a potent challenge, meaning it is powerful. It's a powerful challenge, and it must be faced. Pain, suffering, and evil is personal. You all have your story, I guarantee you. Pain, suffering, and evil is potent. Pain, suffering, and evil is purposeful. We will see this in Paul's letter. I'm giving you my points up front so that you might see them represented in the text as we read so that I can turn our attention to the text itself and make commentary along the way. It's purposeful. God has a purpose for pain and suffering and evil. It's producing something. And it is passing. It won't always be this way. Your pain, as great as it is, won't always be there. Your suffering will pass. But there is a lot involved in that passing that we may not be aware of. Not only the passing of our pain, but the passing of Christ's judgment upon us. And we will see that in 2 Corinthians as well. Pain, suffering, and evil is personal. It is potent. It has a purpose. And it will pass. It will pass. Let's turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry. What is this ministry? If you look at the, the prior context, Paul <clears throat> mentions the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of righteousness. There's a parallelism in that passage, pardon me, <clears throat> that refers to the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnations as righteousness one and the same, and then a ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness as being one and the same, and that we have received this ministry, the ministry of the Spirit or the ministry of righteousness. So when he says, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, he's talking about the righteousness of God applied to you and to me, okay? That's the best I can do right now for time's sake, but that's the context. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience 
in the sight of God. And then he moves through to where I want to start, which is verse 7. But we have these treasures, this ministry, in jars of clay. We have these treasures in jars of clay. Do you hear, I hope that you do, the language of Judges 7? When Paul writes jars of clay, he's turning his reader's mind back in time to Judges 7 when Gideon faces the Midianites with 300 men and they hide their lamp in jars of clay as a strategy to show the overwhelming power of Yahweh when facing the Midianites. It's a strategy of war. For what reason? To show God's power in the face of evil. We have these treasures in jars of clay, verse 7, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to Evan, not to us. We are, and you will recognize these words, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not given to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who are alive, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same Spirit according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. Again, another reference to the Old Testament drawing the readers or listeners' ears and attention to Psalm 116. And I will invite you to go read that entire psalm at another time and you will see that David is giving thanksgiving to God for his provision through suffering. Echoes of how to live in the midst of suffering while turning our eyes to heaven as the framework for understanding the world around us. I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, read, a passing, our pain, suffering, and evil is passing. Light and momentary affliction is preparing, read, purposeful, for us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, passing away. But the things that are unseen, they're eternal. For we know 
And if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And skipping to verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, meaning we don't look at each other in this world according to this idea that this is all there is. This is the as good as it gets is what we're experiencing right now, which would be completely depressing. If this pain, suffering, and evil is as good as it gets, they're transient They're passing. There are unseen things that are eternal. So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, listen, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ the ministry of reconciliation, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us. I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. William Lane Craig, an apologist in his Philosophical Foundations for Christian Worldview, says this, when we comprehend Jesus' sacrifice and his love for us, this puts the problem of evil in an entirely different perspective. For now we see clearly that the true problem of evil is the problem of our evil. It's all fine when we think about evil as something out there. But the rub is when we begin to recognize that there is evil in here. God, do something about evil, but don't do anything about my evil. God, stop the suffering, but don't step in the way of me causing suffering for someone else. Christ endured your suffering so that you could be reconciled to God. Christ endured my suffering so that I could be reconciled to God. But not only that, so that we could preach 
the ministry of reconciliation to others so that you could be a city on a hill to point to Jesus, the one who suffered for the world so that they might be reconciled to him. Personal? Absolutely. Powerful? Hopefully now in a new sense. It's a catalyst to faith, not a weapon used against the faithful. With a purpose, producing glory, And launching us into the world as ambassadors for Jesus. And passing. There will be a day. There will be a day. Where you won't have tears of sorrow. Where you won't think about your aging and failing body. Where sin won't reign and change and grip and manipulate every fiber of our being. But we will see clearly. And we will give thanks to God. And my challenge to you today is it's Peter's challenge, 1 Peter 4.19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So go and do good people of God. Suffer well. Turn people's eyes to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. And Father, now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to you, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, and dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Evan. Um, So here's what we're going to do. We do have a few minutes. um, And listen, if you need to go, or if you need to go get your kids or anything like that, don't don't feel bad at all if you need to step out. Um, Technically, we've got three minutes left in our service, but we may go a little bit beyond that, just a little bit. But we did want to give an opportunity. um, Evan, you scoot your chair on up here if you would. Um, Just to ask questions. If anybody has a a question. So Scott has this mic right here. Um, Scott's going to walk around. If you just have one, if you want to just, it may be something you've been thinking about this week, or just as he was speaking, it popped in your head of just, hey, could you clarify this point or something like that? Just raise your hand and Scott will walk over to you and you are welcome to ask any, anything you got. So anybody have one? Anybody have a question for Dr. Posey this morning? Yeah, right here, David. So if I'm understanding this right, there's one standard of morality for all of us mm-hmm. given to us by God mm-hmm. and there is no relative morality. Right. There is no right for me but wrong for you. There's only right in the eyes of God, and that's the same for all of us. Right. That, that, at least that's my view. The confusion typically is when we see uh, different opinions of what the right and good actually is. So the difficult work is to drill beyond that. Um, <clears throat> one of the examples is... a. Uh, like purity laws in food, right? For example, in, in Covington, we've got the, what, 
10 second rule, five seconds. How, what's the seconds now? Is it three seconds? I don't know. It's like 20 seconds for me. Yeah, there you sure. go. My house is care. like I don't care. minute and a half. It's still good. <clears throat> right, but in, let's say, Jewish culture, you can't eat pork. Well, you know, which one's right? Well, it's, it's not so much about which one of those being right, but the principle that undergirds both of them, that they're sanitary uh, laws or principles that undergird that. It would be the same thing of walking maybe into a, a tribe in Africa and their standard of beauty is rings on a neck, whereas our standard of beauty may be rings on a finger. I don't know, but there's a standard of beauty. There's an objective standard of beauty, and that's where we're trying to direct, as at least apologists, and I think uh, Christian worldview is saying, that's where we're going. What is the objective behind these instantiations in the world? But that, yes, that's the point. It denounces moral relativism and affirms moral uh, absolutism or objectivism. Yeah. That's, that's good. awesome. That's a good question. Great question. Anybody else? Any, qu- any other questions? Anybody, anybody, anybody? <laughs> the mic's not on. I don't know. What'd you say? Looking to get steps in. Scott wants to get steps. Amy's got one. Amy's got one, Scott. Here, just yell it, Amy. Is that okay? Absolutely, and uh, I think the first thing is to, to try your best not to engage emotively, um, because that's already right there at the surface. Likely, we're we're people of intellect, of emotion, of will, so we're dealing with people. Every one of us are a mix of that, and if if they're hostile. Typically, there's emotion expressed there, and my advice is to not return sort of that emotion for emotion, but to ask questions, to gather information rather than assume things of why a person left, what pain is in their background, all of that, and say, what do you, great question is, uh, what do you mean by that? Whatever that is, I sort of did that with problem evil. What do you mean by evil? Um, And then how did you come to that conclusion? So there's a great book which I'll commend to you. <clears throat> the title's Tactics, with the subtitle, Discussion, Discussing Your Christian Convictions, or gain, A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions by Greg Kokel, K-O-U-K-L. It, it essentially walks a person through that very question. How do I engage someone who's either challenging the faith or has completely deconstructed their worldview and, well, if you can do that, and then abandon the Christian worldview. <clears throat> the tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions by Greg Kokel. We do have a, a resource page, by the way, eastridge.church slash doubt. There's a resource page on our website with some resources for this series. Um, Evan, if you'll text me that book, I will we'll get yeah. that one added to us. That's great. Um, is that Amy, is that pretty good? And I would just, I mean, yeah, when we're talking to people about this, and we talked about this a little last week, like Peter says, as we're having a, like being ready to answer, like we're good at that part sometimes. I'm ready to answer. I want to tell somebody something. But he says at the end of that, what, with with gentleness and respect, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That the old old idiom goes, you know, people don't know how much you know, or don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care, right? That you start with being a friend, which I know you are. Um, Guys, let's start with being friends to people, loving people where they're at, being compassionate, and then, yeah, when we can have these conversations, let's have these conversations and be ready to talk about it. Um, but, man, we got to love people as well as we possibly 
can. Yeah, the wisdom literature says that <clears throat> faithful are, a, are the wounds of a friend, which presumes you're a friend first. You've, sort, you've earned the capital to actually offer the wound. And we, we have to do that. But it's that idea of, I know you love me, which means I can trust you with this. It doesn't always go great, you know, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Absolutely. Mm. We, maybe one more. Is there one more question real quick? Yeah. In the back. Also, don't forget, well, actually, we're going to start a sermon on deconstruction next week. So oh. you're going to want to be Yeah, we're going to continue this conversation <laughs> next week for sure. My question is, um, as people get upset with the world and the evil that they see in the world and they're, they become very unhappy people, um, you, you were saying that but we have evil within us. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's not going to go away until Jesus comes. Mm -hmm. So how can we get mad at the world when we ourselves have evil. So the question becomes, who are you focused on? Mm -hmm. Are you focused on people who are always going to let you down? Are you focused on God and Christ mm. who are righteous? Yeah. That was a definitive statement. I, I think, think the answer Yeah, is you kind of right answered there. your question. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yes. Great. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, I, I think about Jesus, right? The, the, the speck in somebody else's eye. You know, when you have a log in your own. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's exactly right. The, the reality is there's all sorts of evil out there um, beyond us for sure. But I love the point that you made, Evan, about we look inward and we understand that when we're asking God to deal with evil, he's going to deal with evil. He has dealt with evil on the cross in that respect. And then at the end, he will judge. And that includes me. And that includes you. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for ending that, too, with just the call of maybe reconciled to God, every one of us in this room, where you're at. Um, understand that that is only through faith in Jesus Christ yeah. and his righteousness alone. And we sang that today. Um, but man, this problem of evil is not just out there in the ether. It's, it's here in our hearts and uh, learning to repent day by day, follow the Lord where we're at in our faith too. So let me do this. We, we are kind of really done on time. I'll tell you what, you, we all just say thank you so much to, to Dr. Posey today. Thank you guys. Um, Evan. Is it okay if you hang out right here while people are coming in and out? So listen, if you still have, maybe just want to come and talk with him, he's going to hang out right here, and you're welcome just to come on down. I know he'd love to chat with you as well. So let me pray for us today, and you guys are welcome to, to head on out or come, come ask more questions. Lord, thank you so much, God, for your love and grace to us. Yes, we know we live in a hard world, but we know that we serve a great God. Um, you are not evil. You are good all the time. And so God, help us to to reckon with those things that we've learned today, maybe dig into those a little bit more. Um, but God, as we are maybe asking those questions, God, help us to dig into your word and to listen to what you say to these things and to see that ultimately that the greatest way that we have ever been able to witness you dealing with evil is on your son on the cross, that you put him there to deal with our evil and the evil in the world. So thank you so much for Jesus. We trust in him and we lift him up in glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are free to go. Um, Dr. Posey's right here.